This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portzio. My name is Andrew Carroll. Today we're discussing the career of uh, Matt Damon himself, you know, the great Jesse Plemons, and uh, we are joined by Mia Sherry, joining the Two Timers Club. Glad to have you on again. I'm so thrilled. I had such a good time talking about Venice with Stephen before, but I didn't get a chance to meet Andrew. So now I can meet Andrew and I can talk with my very favourite character actor, which is <laughs> Matt Damon, or Jesse Plemons, I believe is his full name. It's a pleasure to have you on, Mia. Um, yeah, because Andrew mentioned covering Clemens, it was your idea, but um, I reached out to Mia because when I interviewed you about Venice, I remember, I think recently, Andrew, you had posted the meme where it was, you know, you versus the guy, you know, she tells you not to worry about, and it was um, Jesse Clemens in Game Night compared to the most dashing picture of Matt Damon, and I remember you saying, like, oh, you should do uh, Jesse Clemens on the podcast, Mia, so just what is it about Clemens you really like? I first saw him in Vice and I didn't really know his face, but I remember turning to my dad and being like, Matt Damon has had a lot of work done, hasn't he? <laughs> I I really couldn't, I could not place him at all. And then I actually realized that he had been on an episode of Black Mirror, um, yes. which I think was USS Callister, which is actually one of my favorite ones. Um, super good. And just ever since then, I, I don't know, there's just something about his performance that I find um, quite subtle, but like, I'm always very intrigued by whatever he does on screen, regardless of whether, you know, he's kind of, you know, a big role like in I'm Thinking of Ending Things or a smaller role like in Game Night or Vice. And yeah, and then he just, I mean, he, well, like literally, I suppose as a character actor, just kind of kept popping up in stuff that I was seeing. Um, and I always really enjoyed him. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of, then started like looking for things that he was doing. And again, I mean, I've always really enjoyed them. He makes some really fantastic decisions. Agreed. He always works with the best people because even I was looking through all the directors he worked with and even other people, which was sort of his sort of Sundancey drama. I didn't know the director's name. I realized that guy created the other two, that like amazing sitcom that's on now with, you know, you know, that joke that went around on Twitter where it's Wanda Sykes being like, the AV club said it's no moonlight. Like that's from that show, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. <laughs> Andrew, yeah. you, you had a specific reason that you wanted to cover Plemons now, because so, he may not be a character actor for too long. That's true, yeah. I remember um, it was a couple of weeks ago that I was like, um, uh, I was reading, I'm a big fan of the AV Club, uh, which is our Seagin, <laughs> um, and they posted an article basically detailing how Jesse Plemons is more than ready to become a leading man, because he's, you know, he's going to be in Kit, uh, Martin Scorsese's next movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, uh, there was alarm sirens going off in my head. I was like, Stephen, we need to cover him now <laughs> so we can get on this hype train a year from now when this when this film wins 12 Oscars. Because we're enjoying that now with Lakeith, now so that he's got his Oscar nom and we're like way behind on that. Yeah, yeah. All uh, our, The views, the listens on that, on that episode have shot By up. tens. Maybe. By tens know. at least. <laughs> they probably haven't. Yeah. <laughs> By the tens, yeah. Um, By at least ten. So what do you want to talk about first, Andrew? I was thinking maybe The Master. I did really want to cover Friday Night Lights for this, but I couldn't find it anywhere, and I I just don't have the time to watch TV. True. Um, too committed to the to the cinema to the to the art form that is cinema. Uh, speaking of the art form that is cinema, <laughs> um, Jesse Plemons plays Val Dodd, the son of Lancaster Dodd, uh, who is the leader of the philosophical no- movement known as the Cause. Val befriends Freddie Quell. Uh, a scoundrel stowaway who was brought into the fold by Lancaster Dodd, and that is essentially the plot of the Master. And uh, it's basically um, Scientology, the movie, as told from the, ac- the acting powerhouse uh, viewpoints of Joaquin Phoenix, Amy Adams, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, R.I.P. Good science, by definition, allows for more than one opinion. Otherwise, you merely have the will of one man, which is the basis of cult. And this is where we are at. To have to explain ourselves. For what? The only way to defend ourselves is to attack. You know, you should wake up, Val. Your father's speaking. You might learn something. He's making all this up as he goes along. You don't see that? The Master, I think, for me, is like... It's not, not definitely not my favourite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, I think that title probably goes to Inherent Vice or something like that. Um, and I think if you're not in the right headspace for, that, for, for The Master, it can be quite a difficult 
sometimes joyless film. Um, but it is a movie uh, you like you get out of it what you put into it, like therapy in a way, I guess. Um, and I think it's only through that kind of process that you can kind of find the nuance in short but impactful performances like Jesse Plemons, uh, who, as I said, plays Val Dodd, who's the son of Lancaster Dodd, who's Philip Seymour, who is the master of the title, is Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he's he's kind of like this privileged kind of rich kid. He's the son of a cult leader who's, uh, among, who's among other things, a nuclear physicist, a scientist, a doctor, and uh, an author. And he's just kind of riding on his father's coattails. And he basically wants for nothing and doesn't really doesn't seem to care how his dad has earned his success, uh, whether through, by fair means or foul, and um, is just happy to and just kind of coast along for a while in in this weird little family traveling circus family his father has built. And Clemens only has like three pretty brief scenes, uh, all three of them uh, with Joaquin Phoenix, and he kind of goes from you know this kind of aloof kind of first son of a dynasty to this disillusioned rich kid who doesn't really um doesn't really care about the movement or um its beliefs as long as he's kind of you know safe and happy in its in with it and i think a lot of the master is kind of seen from freddie quell's perspective who's played by joaquin phoenix and his perspective is like very burnt out and disconnected because this he's this mentally unstable war veteran and so it's rare we get to see other characters develop outside of the likes of, say, Lancaster Dodd or his wife Peggy, who's played by Amy Adams. And I think Val Dodd is one of the few characters we actually see uh, change each time he's on screen, which is only about... He's only on screen for maybe less than 10 minutes, I'd say. But in each scene, he's different because he, he kind of goes... As I said, he goes from aloof first son to disillusioned rich kids and eventually by the end of the film he seems to be this like firm believer in the cause and the difference is quite striking um because obviously in the, the second scene where he's he tells um pretty well that Lancaster Dodd is just making it up as he goes along that he like that Lancaster Dodd only really cares about money and power and the easiest way for him to get that is through writing books and spouting all this philosophical bullshit and calling people pig fuck when they disagree with them. <laughs> and, but because of the conditioning that Freddie Quell has been through and his own mental instability, he has, he eventually, by, by the time the film is entering its closing act, Freddie Quell has this like really firm, unshakable belief in the cause, at least for a while, as well, and its teachings. And I think that's what kind of convinces uh, Clement's character, Val, to kind of straighten up and fly right. Because um, when... Freddie Quell visits the cause for the last time in England. Uh, Fal is there, and he's like he's really well groomed. He is in a really nice, clean suit, um, and he has the posture and sunny disposition of a Mormon missionary. And it's the film never really confirms or denies this, but it, it could be the power and the it, obviously Val craves the power and the money that his father has. But it, when he's first on screen, he's kind of just happy to rest in the kind of in the bosom of his family and. I think, but it's seeing seeing like the control that Lancaster Dodd has over someone like Freddie Quell that maybe what finally convinces him of the fact that this is maybe this is maybe this is the right path in life. See, here's a I've often said that The Master is my favorite movie of all time, and although it's always changing, I have to say, but like I think it's as close to perfect as things come. So, but I didn't watch it for this because Plemons only has such a small role, and I wanted to save it for. Philip Seymour Hoffman, where I could, so I could give it the hour it deserves, but um, mm. I think what's no, I think what's this must be such a long episode. I know. You do him. <laughs> we have to break it up into four. Um, but um, yeah. Plemons, you know, plays Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, and it's an actor he's often compared to a lot, along with Matt, Matt, Matt Damon. I almost said Matt Damon again, um, because of <laughs> I think he looks quite similar to Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he has a similar sort of intensity. But I think Hoffman's skill was that he could seemingly do anything. Like, he could play kind people, the lovable best friend, less complicated people, flawed people, creeps, psychos. 
and he always made them feel real and I think Plemons' major roles so far have mostly been creeps and psychos and you know I hope he gets more chances to show that he can do other things because I think the way he makes his uh, creepy cop in Game Night so lovable or his you know beautiful turn as a sad but good man in other people like I think he suggests that he has the skills so I'm, I do hope he, uh, he can grow to you know the legacy of his fake father in the master you know it's also he did play young matt damon in a movie i think he played young matt damon in all the pretty horses so that's funny yeah but i was watching an interview on the seth meyers show about that and apparently they just cut him out at the start of the movie so he's God. he's in it but he's not actually in it is the thing God love him. oh that must be yeah. so devastating it's so interesting though because he kind of got his mainstream break, I think, in terms of like talking about kind of like awards or whatever, which I think we kind of consider, you know, like the kind of beginning of an actor's like ascendancy, you know, to the mm. A-list or whatever with I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It was really interesting as I read an article with him, Plemons, in the New York Times, and he was offered the role by Charlie Kaufman, the director and writer. And he was saying how shocked he was that he was just kind of like offered this role. And like, just in that conversation, like, I'm kind of, I'm like, why? Like, you've worked with, like, Paul Thomas Anderson, Martin Scorsese, like, all these amazing directors, and he's always done good roles. Like, I think, I think he'd be hard-pressed to find a performance where he wasn't at least on point. And I, I don't mm. know, it was just so funny um, to see how he considers himself, I think, very much as still being kind of an indie actor in kind of these supporting roles. It's just very funny. I, I wonder that now if that will, if that will change. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, like, every time I think, like, oh, Jesse Plemons and Killers of the Flower Moon, this makes so much yeah. sense in the lead role. He's the but lead role. It also, and that's the wow. crazy part, because he, like, Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be the lead role, and that, that makes even more sense, because, yeah. like, Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese, this has happened yeah, yeah, before, yeah. it will happen again. Uh, but with Jesse Plemons, it makes sense in such a kind of just from an artistic and technical standpoint mm. in terms of just movie making um whereas like if you want your movie to feel grounded uh, in some kind of reality and you want like a truth to it you put jesse Fallon's in the yeah lead role, yeah I you know so, and yeah. you know Leonardo DiCaprio can certainly bring something to a movie but i'm not sure if it's if it's like reality that he can that he can play if you get me. well that's the difference you know? i suppose isn't it between like leading men and character actors like jesse plemons will bring the character but leonardo dicaprio mm. no matter how great his performance is it's always leonardo dicaprio god yeah that's interesting because even why well, i know it's it's a recent film but like in judas and the black messiah he very much was like the straight man and, mm. and it's true what you say i suppose he really kind of grounds a film in this real sense of reality which i mm. suppose Maybe not the reality part, but that's what character actors do, isn't it? Like, they really add to the sense of, I suppose, reality within the film, you know, that these are... Yeah. Um, you see both. yourself in them, because they're not these exactly, beautiful yeah. Hollywood idols, yes. you know? <laughs> uh, we, we'll jump around a bit. Do you want to hit... I'm thinking of ending things. I think we all watched it. I guess. Yeah, it seems hopeless. What does? All of it. Uh, everything, like feeling old, like your body is going, your hearing, your sight, you can't see, and you're invisible. You've made so many wrong turns. The lie of it all. What is the lie of it all? I don't know. That it's going to get better, that it's never too late, that... God has a plan for you that age is just Shut a up. number that it's always darkest before the dawn that every cloud has a fucking silver lining <clears throat> that, the, that there's someone for everyone platitude all so I it came out actually when I was in Venice and I'd heard all these reviews that it was super depressing and blah 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 but like a masterpiece um and so i was a bit wary about watching it and then i watched it now again i do think i think it's it's a film that was maybe done a disservice by going straight to netflix i think seeing it in a cinema definitely would have been a different experience but i found um i don't, I don't know i mean again I, look i loved Plemons' performance and that scene i think particularly in the car 
where she's kind of, I think, supposed to be like a film critic. Now, I don't know if that's yeah. just being a film critic myself, but I really like that kind of banter between them. Um, yeah, but I, I found as a film... I, I, yeah, I don't know what I think about it as a film. I do think that it really played on Jesse Plemons kind of being a bit of a creep, which I think by that point, I was kind of raring to see something like a little bit different. Um, Thank you, yes. <laughs> yeah. I watched this first, had not read the book, and um, I liked it. I really enjoyed Plemons and Buckley's performances. I, mm-hmm. I liked how surreal and weird it was. I love just the snowy cinematography. That's just ASMR to me. Just put me to bed. Mm. Two people chatting in a car. I love it. <laughs> but um, I was a little bewildered by it because it felt like it had all the makings to be this sort of, as Andrew would say, like elevated horror. And it just never quite got there for me. And I found the ending a little bit head scratching. So then I, but I was, I was intrigued enough that I went and read the book. And the book is... Yeah, pretty much everything that happens in the book is in the movie. But like Kaufman, like if the book is this like beautiful, cool house, like Charlie Kaufman, like has built a mansion on it, but has still kept the original house. So he's just it's like grand and like vast, but like it's kind of doesn't really make sense. And is very like it's flawed, the design, because in the the book is playing this very interesting game of everything seems quite normal. There's these little things that are quite weird. And then it gets just weirder and weirder and weirder until you realize the big twist that, and, and this is a spoiler, but like uh, mm-hmm. Jesse Plemons' character is this janitor and that the events of the movie are taking place in his head. And I feel like just from watching other Charlie Kaufman movies, like Adaptation, which is about screenwriting, which he wrote. And then he, in that movie, yeah. there's a, a, there's a, there's a bad screenplay that he they keep slagging called The Three, where a cop, a kidnapper, and the hostage are all the same character. And, like, it's mm-hmm. meant to be a sort of slag of, like, movies like Identity and Psycho and Split. And, like, that's, like, a bad screenplay. So a little bit... I understand why Charlie Kaufman wanted to make this movie because it's a really sad story about despair and loneliness mm-hmm. and failure. And that's kind of what all those movies are about. But if he, he's just not absolutely not interested in playing this like great game that this book is playing. Like in from the first minutes of the movie, you know that Plemons is the janitor. It doesn't really try and hide it. That's like, what I thought. I I really was. I didn't want to be like a Debbie Downer, but I, I like I remember watching it and people were talking about this great twist, and I was like, do, do we consider that a, a twist? Like I remember the whole time I was watching it though. Um, that one line, that one great line in Community. Uh, where she just like wrap it up Charlie Kaufman that was just like playing in a loop <laughs> on my head because it really did it felt, now you're speaking my language yeah, actually, but it did it kind of felt a bit like it felt like Charlie Kaufman trying to be Charlie Kaufman do you know what I mean it almost felt like a first year film student who's kind of got their big break and goes I'm gonna make it Charlie Kaufman film um because even you know that uh like one of the greatest scenes I think is is when they're in the house meeting his parents and it was the pacing was so odd I thought because there's a really great way like you say to do kind of an elevated horror a little bit of Ari Aster and yet it just almost immediately is like yeah this is super weird and this is why it's weird um which I get there was a lot to kind of, you know, cram in because you have that whole car ride home. But um, yeah, it, it kind of disappointing a bit, I guess. Yeah, Andrew, what do you think? Because you, you agree, I agree with you what you were saying to me in a, a message about how Kaufman's approach to this where he's not very interested in the horror and playing the game that the book is playing. Because the book ends completely different to the movie. It ends at this kind of more violent ending where um, the oh. female character is killed mm by the janitor and then the janitor takes over the narration and then you that's when you realize it's on his head and jesse plemons's character in the book seems very very normal like he just seems like a kind of carefree boyfriend but the way kaufman does it in this movie like from the moments the movie starts jesse plemons in the early passage is a bit lost yeah i think he's like i think the movie is a bit of a foggy mess to be honest Mm -hmm. and i think uh as for as good as um jesse plemons is a grounding a movie i think uh, and he, I think he really does try in this for both himself and Buckley, you know, just to give themselves some kind of foundation to um, rest on as they move through this insanely disappointing movie. Um, <laughs> I think there's very little connecting, uh, like, his performance uh, across scenes and emotions. Like, one, one minute feel like... Because it's supposedly all from... I went because I'd read the plot of the book on Wikipedia or something, and I think I'd done the same for the film, and I just completely forgot them both before I watched the film. So I essentially went into this blind, and so I think that 
I was like, so are we watching it? Is, whose perspective are we watching this from? Like, is it the janitors? <laughs> is it Plemons? Is it Buckley's? And I feel like there's a, obviously it's narrated by Jessie Buckley, so I was like, oh, it's her. She's the one that's real or not real or one of the two or maybe some other weirder third thing. And so because the camera's always... It's always her perspective, we never really get to see why uh, Plemons' character is the way he is. Like, in one scene, he's like incredibly awkward and unsure and anxious and kind of smarter than everyone else which really feels like Kaufman is you know putting a lot of a lot of himself in there and I think he's just just kind of unsure of where this um movie is going going because I think I I read the same uh, New York Times interview that you read Mia where he's talking about this movie and how he wasn't sure he didn't didn't know what the movie was about. Mm. A lot of the cast, including David Thewlis, who'd worked with um, Charlie Kaufman before and Anomalisa, was like, "Yeah, I'm not really sure about what this movie's about either." And then they asked Charlie Kaufman at dinner, like the night before they started shooting, and Charlie Kaufman was like, "You know what? I don't know." Oh God! And, you know, I think when it comes to like surreal films, like you do have to have a decent kind of knowledge mm. of. Uh, what you're doing like even if it is even if you're thinking in complete fucking dream logic like David Lynch does uh, which makes sense to no one but himself as long as it makes sense to you then you can kind of make art from it Mm -hmm. if you have that kind of if that's the way you creatively work like and I think I'm thinking of anything has the kind of self-seriousness any surrealist like David Lynch or if you want to get really weird and niche Appy Chapong we're his, he calls himself Joe. He's a good, yeah, good he's try. A good try. Yeah, he is really good. Yeah, yeah. I got the. I can get the first name. I can never get the second one. Um, sorry, Joe. Um, so, like, just to take an example from, like, say, Twin Peaks, where you know you have the scene where uh, Laura Palmer is found dead, and Jack Nance goes, rings the sheriff, tells him she's dead, wrapped in plastic, and then you cut to the school corridor, and then this guy just walks across camera like. Mm. <laughs> like that and then you could again there's this girl running across a screen, uh, field screaming and so it's that kind of you know at once you're kind of you're kind of entertained but you're also not really forgetting you know, certain things are being brought to the front of your mind and then being pushed mm. to the back so you know like oh, this is still like a kind of this kind of has sitcom energy it kind of has soap opera energy and it also has like really weird kind of true detective before true detective energy and you know it, the same thing in Uncle Boonmi, who can remember, who can recall his past lives, where Uncle Boonmi is visited by his dead son, son and wife in one mm. scene, and then is later being shown in a past life as a catfish, giving head to a yes. princess in a lake. Yeah, very yeah. iconic scene. Yes, yeah. great, great scene. <laughs> and whereas uh, I'm thinking of anything that doesn't really have any of this, other than that big, massive dance number, which I really liked at the end yeah. of this movie, and the bit with the pig, uh, the cartoon pig. Uh, oh, yes. And it also has a really weird bit where Je- uh, Jesse Plemons sings Tulsi Town to Jesse Buckley with this really creepy grimace on his face. Yes, yes. And I think that's the closest this movie gets yeah. to being actually scary. But um, yeah, I just feel like uh, David Lynch should watch this movie and go, what a lo- loser made this. Because actually, that's a good point. I actually feel like they never tried to make Jesse Plemons at all likable. Like the minute she gets in the car... I'm like, yeah, this is a guy I would immediately want to break up with. Like, there's no question about it. Like, end the things. Um, and, and that's weird because, you know, usually Plemons works really well where, okay, yeah, he kind of plays a creep, but there is something kind of likable about him. Like, I think Black Mirror does a really good job of that. You know, he starts out and you're like, this is a guy who, like, lives in his head. That's cool. Kind of like I'm thinking of ending things. And yet then, okay, yeah, it absolutely turns out to be an asshole. But we can kind of understand where he's coming from. And it's the same kind of opposite in Game Night. He's an absolute creep. And then, you know, we kind of understand why he's a creep. I'm thinking of anything. He's just... And, like, is he even a creep? Or just, like, you know, your average, like, down in the dumps kind of a weirdo. Mm. It's 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 really bizarre. And I think it kind of works against some of his greatest strengths. Now, that being said, I actually... Potential blasphemy. I actually think his performance works a little bit better than Jesse Buckley's but I understand that I know but I understand that she had a lot more material to work with and if your director is telling you that he doesn't understand what the film's about I understand that almost immediately your job becomes 10 times harder so I understand that that must have been difficult for her Mm. yeah and I will say like I just I think it, the main issue with Plemons' performance is that beginning where 
you're not quite sure is he supposed to be aloof is he meant to be creepy mm. is he meant to be just kind of like a sad quiet person um but i do think he he, he is i think he's quite fun in all the scenes with tony collette and david Thewlis when they're in the house where he sort of turns into like a petulant child sort of like gee ma mm. you know and is like banging his <laughs> fists like that's just a very primal thing of what you, you turn into a bit more of a kid around your parents so i like that i also think he pamence is very good um older people is another example of this of playing characters who are just very internal and they're very kind of wrestling with these like the darkness within them like the frustrations the anger and i think he actually makes that scene where they're talking about a woman under the influence the cassavetes movie and he's talking about how he why he had sympathy for the character by Gina rollins who is like someone who suffers with mental health in that movie and he's talking about how like society disregards you know people who suffer and he's talking in like the general sense like people but he's you, you get that he's referring to himself and like that speech he gives where he's like close to tears and his voice is crackling and he's like he has the stanza of worry on his forehead to quote the poem that jesse bookley reads him i actually think that stuff is very effective and is maybe the best that coffin gets at sort of hitting the themes that he's trying to get at in the movie i just think it just it does a really disservice that you have this like a incredible like i really like the book and you have this like great piece of horror literature and that is like perfectly made for you to just adapt to this like killer elevated horror get out style thing and then just to watch somebody like take it and just ignore all that is is very frustrating (laughs) you know Mm. i think it's that's i think that's just one of the problems with kaufman though is that because we saw an adaptation as well where he's just making fun of like uh kind of you know uh identity or psycho or whatever and you know i think he thinks he's smarter than the confines of this genre he's operating in which is fine you know you can think that um but that doesn't make those confines any harder to escape from and i think you know people who are dumber than charlie kaufman have tried to like escape the like confines of horror or thriller cinema before and succeeded very very well uh, and people that are smarter than Charlie Kaufman have tried to escape these confines before and failed miserably. So I think he just kind of, you know, stumbled when it came to, or just thought he could bring this in a different direction and made maybe the worst decision possible for the movie. Or maybe he just really, truly did not understand the book and that's okay too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Will we move on from this? What, what else? We, we Do you want to talk about, we do game night. Peak of his career. I'm ready. <laughs> Um, I, mean, I have actually have the quote, quote, quotes written down here and I'm laughing already um, yeah so Plemons plays um, officer Gary Kingsbury the police officer neighbour to Max who's played by Jason Bateman and Annie who's played by Rachel McAdams um, he is a mentally unstable and depressed man after his divorce whose <laughs> chilling and toneless manner of speaking leaves others nervous as they should be as Gary may have more to do with their chaotic game night than he lets on I do hope you keep me in mind for any future game nights Well, you bet. I've always enjoyed the camaraderie of good friends competing in games of chance and skill. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll we'll do that, but um, it's nice just, just, just the two of us. Three bags of Tostito scoops, I notice. There was a special on these tonight. Three for one. Three for one? Yep. How can that be profitable for Frito-Lay? These corporations? I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Oh, you two enjoy each other. It's often we don't appreciate what we have until it's gone. So I think what's what struck me about this character one, just when I was thinking about it briefly, because I hadn't really thought about Game Night. Um, Like, I rewatched this, uh, I think, in December or January of this of this past year and you know loved it just as much as when, as when i saw it the first time um and what's but i i you know i don't really think about comedies all that much you know i there i laugh i leave maybe i come back um but when i was thinking about it today because i had to um it struck me just how easy to laugh at he is and how easy he is to be scared by but also how easy he is to sympathize with and it's really where you get all these things in Never mind an American comedy, but in an American film, just at all. Because usually it's like, oh, this person has two character traits and they are sad and angry. <laughs> Whereas like with this guy, it's like, you're sympathetic to him, you're kind of creeped out by him, 
you're, and he's easy. He's easy to laugh at. He's kind of like Todd Landry from Todd from Breaking Bad, Landry from Friday Night Lights, and I don't know the guy from I'm Thinking of Anything's all rolled into one or something like that. And also they gave him a gun and a police officer's uniform. <laughs> Considering this is a comedy and like there isn't that many like uh, sincere emotional bits. You know, you have bits like uh, bits of character building here and there, but um, it's mostly just comedy. Is, this is one of those comedies where it's mostly just a vehicle for the jokes. Uh, but I think the only genuinely emotional bit of the film is uh, um, towards the end, where um, uh, well, I'll I'll have to spoil it, where um, um, Gary Clemens's character is shot, and they're like. Um, Max and Annie run over to him and like oh my god we're so sorry for like not including you and doing all, we wish we could have done all these things different and we're going to get you out of here and invite you to every game night we have every week <laughs> and even though it's a fake out and he's faking, faked being shot um, you're still like oh my god this is so heartbreaking <laughs> and it's all down to Plemons who with just the right set of his jaw and a tight haircut looks like he's stepped out of an ultra conservative's wet dream of what a policeman should look like <laughs> And he's just so deathly intense and menacing. Even like describing the simplest things, like not wanting to check his postbox too early in case the postman comes late. And he's like, "This spares me the chance of a futile trip to the mailbox." Like <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> or the bit where J- Jason Bateman has all the crisps for the game night and he clocks it because he's a cop. And he's like three for one. How can that be profitable for Frito Lay? Like <laughs> all this stuff, and like just the sharp haircut, like the fact that he hardly ever smiles, like he's always wearing a cop uniform. When they come up to go into his house to use his like cop computer, and like they're pretending to the mm-hmm. game night, he's eating dinner, but it has like a bib over his cop uniform. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny you when you're you're writing a review and you include like the actor's name after the character that they're playing and you might want to add one of their credits so you you know who they're talking about like i think while plemons always leaves an impression i do think because he's he's so often part of an ensemble and takes smaller roles that yeah he doesn't have a movie that he's very well known for that he where he's front and mm-hmm. center but writing my judas in the back messiah review recently um i didn't know what to pick so i just put game night because like he leaves such a mark and he, he's the standout mm-hmm. character in performance in a movie that's like filled with like really fun like actors and turns like i love sharon horgan i love billy magnuson in the movie but like mm. jesse Plemons just leaves the mark what do you think mia yeah i mean so i actually originally watched uh game night because i just finished arrested development and i needed something to fill that jason bateman hole in my life and what's interesting is is that like jason bateman is the straight man and it's usually very hard in film or tv show to kind of out straight him and yet Jesse Plemons does that and does it with like miles to spare. And I think as well, like when, when we're talking about Plemons, um, what often gets overlooked is his sheer physicality. And like there is, it's quite hard to hold a fluffy white dog in a menacing way. <laughs> and yet this guy nails it every time. I like, I think, I think he's first introduced where he's either standing just outside the porch or maybe looking at the window and he's holding the dog. And it would really like it would really give you chills, and and it's just it's just amazing because, I, I think like like you're saying, Stephen, he really is a standout, and in a film with so many standouts, that kind of the guy that nobody can really place, but you know, like you say, like I know that face, that he really does shine. I, I can't rave enough about him in this film, like it does, <laughs> but it really does, like because I you know, I watched the film thinking it would be one of those usual kind of like ensemble comedies wouldn't get that much out of it but like you know it would while away a night and he really elevates it like like he really does it becomes this kind of you know pseudo drama kind of like a you know with the melodramatics um, and this kind of tragic undertone it's just it's just incredible and and he has maybe you know because his lines are so clipped maybe what like 20 or 30 lines like he does it's not a big speaking part but just mm. his presence really lifts this film and and even though you know he's not present for the whole game night immediately gives this kind of you know this tense thing and he's always in the back of your mind like is this guy gonna come back i don't quite know yeah and and just yeah his deliveries is just uh, no i i really um his performance in that really kind of fully and full throttledly converted me to the cult of of jesse clemens (laughs) yeah um no he's just he's just fantastic like he really is 
As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Tired of tuning into negative news? Well, get your week off to the right start with the Happy Broadcast. Let's help you focus on the positive things happening in our world. Each episode will feature positive news, some mental health tips, and we'll hear from our happy broadcast community about what makes them happy. The podcast is hosted by me, Amy O'Dwyer, in collaboration with Mauro Gatti and his popular social channel, The Happy Broadcast. Episodes are out every Monday and you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's help spread some positivity. I know that Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events and lots more. We here at I Know That Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. Clements has done a lot of great work on TV, like a lot of character actors. He's kind of found, like, another avenue there. And, like, so he started in Friday Night Lights. Um, he's in one of the best Back Mirror episodes, USS Callister, he, the Star Trek-inspired episode. He, along with Kirsten Dunst, were wonderful in Fargo, season two. Kirsten Dunst's wife. That, that season was regarded the best of all the whole ontology series. But I, I think I've got to shout out, like, you know, his turn as Todd Alquist in the fifth season of Breaking Bad, because... It's a series that had a lot of like varied and iconic, you know, antagonists like Tuco or the very still and very elegant, but also like ruthless and Machiavellian, like Giancarlo Esposito, you know, Gus Fring, or there was one of the villains who literally was paralyzed and couldn't speak, but just rang a bell and was just such an evil prick. But Todd just shows up, like Pam shows up like late in the game in the fifth season and left such a big impression that like we still call him Meth Damon to this day. And the series does such a good like bait. (laughs) a bait and switch with his character because like he's hired in season five to help Walt run his meth operation and Clemens was younger at the time and he has this like really youthful energy in the show like he seems like less like someone in the drug game and more like a new employee like eager for a promotion like he seems very normal at first he's soft-spoken he's always asking questions and is really interested in the answers and he, he's just very respectful of whoever's employing him. Like in one pivotal episode, he, Walt and Jesse, Robert Train and Walt is explaining the plan to him. And he's like, wow, you guys have thought of everything. That's fantastic. But what what's scary about him is that he's just willing to execute any action he's asked to by his boss, whether that be like killing innocent children and women, holding people in forced captivity and... You know, he shows very little remorse for his actions and but also st- and still keeps his upbeat demeanor like during that train heist they're spotted by a kid and earlier Walt had stressed the importance of no one knowing they were there the whole point was that the people they were robbing weren't supposed to know that they had been robbed so like the minute like a kid waves at them without even thinking he just draws a pistol and shoots him dead and it's shocking it's the cliffhanger of the episode but then in the intro to the next one Jesse and Todd are having a smoke break after disposing of the kid's body and like his dirt bike and Todd just turns to him and is like man shit happens in a really like flippant way and he's surprised the others are so annoyed about it because they had because he's like you said no witnesses and the kid even had a pet tarantula in a jar that todd keeps as a souvenir like he's just a real sociopath but what's interesting about him is that like he doesn't seem too interested in money or the benefits of crime he's more interested in like gaining the respect of his employers like being a loyal foot soldier and i won't spoil what happens to todd in breaking bad but you know, the, and later on then came El Camino, which follows on Jesse's story after the events of Breaking Bad. And obviously that was made to, you know, give fans of that character some more closure. But also I imagine one of the things that drew, 
you know, Breaking Bad creator Vince Gilligan to that was the potential of just returning to the character of Todd and fleshing him out a bit more because at one point Todd had kept Jesse imprisoned and forced him to cook meth for him. Um, I think because Todd's batches weren't quite as high quality and he was trying to learn from him. So in El Camino, you're seeing Jesse on the run after the events of Breaking Bad while flashing back to his time as a prisoner of Jesse Plemons. And man, Plemons is so good in El Camino because the only thing that's a bit odd is that everyone in El Camino looks the same as they did in Breaking Bad, like when it came to an end, except Plemons, because like in the interim, like he looked like a you know scrawny college kid in Breaking Bad, but since then, like he put on a lot of weight to play his character in Black Mass, and then he was shooting the Irishman around the time El Camino came out. And I imagine when Scorsese tells you, you know, I want a certain look, I want you to bulk up, like you know, TV commitments be damned, which I think is cool because like. I think Plemons putting on a few pounds and showing how he can transform, you know, for certain roles helped him transition from being a child star. Like he's one of the kids in Like Mike, you know, like he was like a quite busy kid actor, <laughs> like to, to transition to someone who could play more adult roles, which is great for him. But like he looks different in El Camino and yeah, and it's weird because even though his scenes are taking place at the same time as Breaking Bad, but you don't care because he's so good. Like in it, Plemons through his performance is like juxtaposing Todd's pleasant demeanor with his cold-blooded actions like even more because he, he lets Jesse out of his makeshift prison and takes him to his house and he's asking like, what do you think of the place? What do you think of that design? Like, I think that paint is starting to look a bit tired. And Jesse's like, do you want me to help you paint? And he's like, yeah, yeah, maybe later, you know, if we have time. And then they walk into his kitchen and there's just a woman's dead body and it's his cleaning lady who found his drug money who he was forced to kill and he strangled her with his belt and as they're removing the body he's like wait gonna need this and he takes the belt off her neck and puts it on his pants and like and when jesse's like asking like why did you kill her did she steal your money and he's like he's offended he's like no she was as honest as the day is long she brought the money to me she thought i didn't know it was there and then like he says like oh i want to bury her something somewhere pretty like she deserves that like every line or scene he has in it is just an off-kilter like weird menacing scary kind of gem then later when they bury her jesse at his most broken has the chance to like get the jump on Plemons' todd and todd is like out of the car and jesse finds a gun in his glove box but todd manages to talk him down and Plemons doesn't like play the scene as like angry or scared like he's very calm you know todd gets jesse to give the gun over to him by praising him for his work and promising him like pizza and like ice cold beer and jesse a former shell of himself at that point agrees like he's just given up on the way home i was gonna get us some pizza a couple large pies Maybe a six-pack of beer. Some ice-cold beer. Does that sound good? Because you earned it today. You definitely did. What kind of pizza do you like, Jesse? Jesse, what kind of pizza? Pepperoni. Pepperoni. Sure. Classic. I like that too. Yeah, Todd's just one of these characters where just every choice the actor is making and every detail that the character just makes them more fascinating to audiences. And like, he really just like lingers on in your head. And uh, for someone who isn't like outwardly kind of like mustache twirling or evil, like he's just so insidious, <laughs> which is amazing. Do you want to talk about uh, Black Mass, Andrew? Uh, Jesse Plemons plays Kevin Weeks, who's a gang lieutenant to Jimmy Whitey Bulger, who's played by a ghoulish Johnny Depp in this under several tons of prosthetics, or just several tons of makeup, and he's ultimately one of the men who brought down Whitey's uh, Winter Hill gang. And, you know, it's a Boston, Boston crime movie, you know, like The Town or um, uh, Gone Baby Gone, I guess. Um, but that doesn't have a Wahlberg or a or an Affleck in it, so it's a rare treasured thing uh, to see. Uh, but that means it's also a movie where everyone sounds like a scummy JFK, and Jesse Plemons looks <laughs> pretty dreadful in this. I won't lie. Uh, his wig is terrible. His makeup is really layered on thick, and like he looks like he looks like Dirk Diggler from Boogie Nights. Let himself go is what he looks like in this movie, and. I think he's uh, like one of the film's three narrators and he doesn't really get much uh, of a whole lot to do other than at the start where it's revealed that he's kind of one of the guys that brought down um, Whitey Bulger's gang. Like like all 
gangster movies since 1995 it's good fellas from like the perspective of like a different um, ethnicity I suppose or a different type of person so you could say that this is like good fellas from the perspective of Jimmy the Gent as played by Johnny Depp set in Boston I think it would be it would be better if it leaned harder into the good fellas influence that it has uh, kind of you know show Kevin Weeks as kind of the new blood which the movie kind of starts out with and his rise under under Whitey Bulger and that what ultimately led, led to him turning state's witness against Whitey and I think the stunt was the stuff with John Connolly the FBI agent who's played by Joel Edgerton who convinces um, Whitey Bulger to turn uh, into an FBI informant just isn't that interesting or compelling and I think at this stage, gangster cinema is an economy unto itself. Like, my brother got me to watch Rise of the Foot Soldier there recently, which is just a, basically an Essex set version of Goodfellas. And, and another Goodfellas ripoff is still better than the generic shit people pump into that genre every month of every year. Because this is essentially just a direct-to-video gangster thriller put with kind of big studio money behind it. And it's, you know, I'd, I would just much rather see them do Goodfellas in, like... Boston or Goodfellas in Essex or Goodfellas in Turkey or Goodfellas in Germany you know just keep making Goodfellas in different parts of the world with the the, that place's culture or um, hierarchy or whatever you know I don't really need to see something like this basically is what I'm trying to say you know it just it just it just feels very generic and I think if you kind of lean harder into the uh, Goodfellas influence which this kind of which movie this movie kind of promises at the start and then doesn't really um factor in I think it would have been better or it just feels like they didn't have the time or money to really put the effort into it Will we hit uh, Mia do you want to talk about Vice a very, a very divisive movie see people say it's a divisive movie um, however it is probably I don't re-watch films a lot however I've seen this film maybe I want to say like an easy 20 times now wow, wow. okay yeah, it came in tw- 2018 is uh, yeah, is it a, well? It's not I, I should say, I, I should say, say I yeah. I don't like this movie. Oh. It's fine. It's just I don't think it it ticks by boxes. I I kind of find out of a case talking down hectoring thing a little bit annoying in the movie, and I think it's kind of shapeless. But explain to me why you why you dig it. What brings you back to it? <laughs> so here's the thing: is actually I was talking. Uh, my boyfriend is big into like economics and stuff, and watched Adam McKay's earlier film, uh, The Big Short. Uh, for the first time and he kind of said the same thing <laughs> he was like I don't know I just felt like the film was talking down to me I was like talking down to you who understands that stuff as somebody who has no knowledge about like what the power of a dollar is I like genuinely needed that um, yeah Vice is just uh, <laughs> Vice was a real kind of delightful surprise for me I actually saw it at uh, Odeon does this great thing called Screen Unseen which is where you pay five euro to go in for a film that you don't know you don't know what it's going to be and around award season it's really fantastic because it's probably going to be a film that you want to see anyways um, and you get it in for Fiverr um, so yeah it was Vice um, I was just I don't know I was just blown away by it um, and bear in mind I really didn't know who Dick Cheney was I had no knowledge about kind of what he was involved in and there's um, a great moment about halfway through the film where they kind of do a, a fake ending and they say, and then yeah. Dick retired and, you know, he went and bred like award-winning Labradors. And I was like, fantastic. What a, what a happy ending. And then obviously it, that's, that's a lie. Um, so yeah, absolutely loved Vice. And that was kind of my first introduction to, to Plemons, who basically plays, um, he's essentially the narrator, right? So he shows up and he's kind of, um, so Adam McKay uh, is kind of famous for these scenes of exposition where he'll kind of like outright explain you know, um, the circuit of courts to you, uh, or, you know, like the housing crisis. Um, Here's Margot Robbie to explain to you prime mortgages or whatever. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Here's Anthony Bourdain explaining fucking the economy. You you can't even, you can't even name the thing. (laughs) That's, I think that is making the movie's point. Exactly. So poorly he was explained, (laughs) explained to me by Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Yeah. And, the thing for me is that I'd seen the big short and I liked that kind of style. And to me, Vice felt like the perfect kind of, it felt like I was really seeing McKay like hone that craft. And what I liked about Vice was that, so the big short is just kind of interrupted with Margot Robbie in the bathtub explaining, you know, like prime mortgages. Um, Kurt is kind of used instead. And he, uh, we see him throughout the film in different moments in his life. And I suppose what's nice looking at it in terms of, 
Plemons, like, canon, um, is that he is actually a really good guy. Just off the bat, nothing you could say wrong about him. He has a family. He grows up in, you know, middle America. um, And he's kind of... What I love about him is he is really emblematic of Dick Cheney's America. And then, as we see, he pays the ultimate price for Dick Cheney's America, whereby, spoiler alert, it turns out, I, I thought that, you know, going in, I mean, that's the great thing as well, is that we really don't know who he is. And so, you know, I was thinking, is he Dick Cheney's grandson? Like, what is he? And it turns out, um, spoiler, I guess, that he is actually the uh, heart donor. Um, when Dick Cheney has, has a heart attack, he is the man that uh, donates his heart to, to Cheney. And not, not voluntarily, he doesn't see Dick Cheney on the side of the road and say, here, take mine. Um, he's in a hospital anyway, and it turns out that he is an organ donor. Um, and, it, you know, despite only being, again, I mean, I suppose this is a kind of a feature in, in Plemons' career, despite only being in the film for maybe, I want to say... I don't know, 25 minutes feels generous um, because he packs so much information in such short scenes. It's a real, like, loss. Like, it really, um, it undercuts everything that the film has talked about and, you know, everything that could make Dick Cheney remotely kind of likeable immediately is just totally, you know, kind of overturned by, by this horrendous loss that we experience. As the world becomes more and more confusing, we tend to focus on the things that are right there in front of us, while ignoring the massive forces that actually change and shape our lives. And with people working longer and longer hours for less and less, when we do have free time, the last thing we want is complicated analysis of our government, lobbying, international trade agreements, and tax bills. So it's no surprise that when a monotone, bureaucratic vice president came to power, we hardly noticed. As he achieved a position of authority that very few leaders in the history of America ever have and again i was really struggling the whole film i was like is it matt damon with like lots of bad thoughts like i really <laughs> don't know who this guy is and it wasn't it was jesse plemons and and he really just uh absolutely blew me away and, and to be honest watching the film the first time again in the court of christian bale and steve carell and amy adams was such a standout despite never being in the same room as these people I mean all his scenes are pretty much just himself like going for a jog or you know cooking in his kitchen um and I think it's just a real testament as well actually to to his power to hold a scene by himself like that's not a thing that actors are I suppose I asked to do a lot you know like just stand in front of the camera there and tell me about you know the supreme court justices you know usually they have other actors around them and and you know there are different like you know kind of camera cuts or whatever and what plemons a lot of the time he's literally just looking into the camera and there's kind of no verbosity about it or you know uh grandeur um and yeah i uh Vice for every Oscar there is. I okay, really, really wow. love that film. I'm gonna. Re- uh, I'm, you've made me. Yeah. You're, you've convinced me to revisit it. I do remember his performance <laughs> is very memorable, and I remember there's a scene where his like mm. wife is cooking dinner, and he's like, "Oh, I'll be in in a second. I'm just talking to the audience," which I remember thinking was quite funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm Maybe really sad. There was actually a bit. So I, I was looking when I was kind of preparing for the podcast. I was I was looking up because I I didn't know as well was he based on the the real life donor and there's a whole cut scene where um towards the end is kind of a post-mortem where apparently he's like on the operating table and he's like explaining he's like i'm not the actual guy but like i kind of like you know like i fit the description or whatever um which i'm very sad to not be able to see but um yeah he really is just just very very good in that film and he sometimes i find when you're talking about somebody like Dick Cheney, who undoubtedly did so many horrible things, um, sometimes it's hard to have a film where there are just horrible things because then the horrible things, some of them don't seem that bad. And then it, you know, it kind of, it becomes very morally gray very quickly because it's kind of funny almost. Um, 
Clemens really again like we've said just grounds the film um, and so and we don't even know that he's doing it do you know what I mean until the very end and yes I just love it a lot I could talk all day about it if you'd let me (laughs) (laughs) do you want to hit um, other people I thought when your mom dies you get that beautiful revelation about life and just everything becomes clear so it just feels like something that happens to other people. Oh, but nothing takes the place of you. Yeah, well, now you're other people's other people. It's a sort of loosely autobiographical based on the director of the movie, but essentially a man who's a comedy writer uh, returns home for a year while his mother is going through chemotherapy. She's played by the great Molly Shannon, but while she's going through chemotherapy, it just isn't taking and it, it's making her feel sick and she decides that she's just going to go off of it and die happy with the family. So you have that, but also Jesse Plemons is kind of going through a life crisis himself. Uh, he's just broken up with his boyfriend. He's not doing too well in his job. He had a pilot that he like poured his heart and soul into that didn't get picked up, and now he's a bit in a purgatory. I quite like this movie. It's very emotional and sad. It's a cancer drama. It should be, but it never gets too cloying. Like it's not manipulative. Every conversation in the movie and moment like feels very well observed and like something that would actually happen in real life. And yeah, I'm not, I wasn't surprised to read that it was based on the writer director's own experience with his mother. Um, I also like the way it. It shows how moments of extreme tragedy can exist beside moments of comedy without undercutting each other, like something funny happening at a funeral. Like every, basically every actor in this movie who isn't Jesse Plemons is is a comedian or is an actor who often appears in comedies. So there is this just comedy that exists right next to the sadness. And um, yeah, like up until this point, like career context, like Plemons had been shining in supporting roles, but this is, was his first lead part. And he really rises to the challenge with, uh, you know, this quite tough character to play because you know his character David is not a very emotive person like he tends to bottle his frustrations and he's a gay man and that could be kind of seen as being like because he was in the closet for so long and that his father was not very accepting when he came out and now that even though he is out he still keeps what he's going through to himself and you know all the stuff about the recent breakup with his boyfriend his work troubles how his mother dying is impacting on him personally like he, he never really expresses that to other members of his family and Plymouth Van just to convey just like his hauntedness and like the weight of the world on his shoulders in like a really subtle way like he's always hunched around his father or some of his other family his voice sometimes just barely rises above a whisper he's less expressive um you can always tell he's just a little bit uncomfortable but when it's him and his mom are joking around who he's a bit more close with or when he's with his friend played by john early who's gay as well or his on and off boyfriend like people who he can be a bit more open with like he he feels looser and there's just a there's a real melancholy to his character like there's this scene where um his best friend gabe's younger teenage brother does this very sexualized drag routine for the entire family and they're all just like watching like like gobsmacked like open mouth and he he's joking to Gabe about it and Gabe says say what you want but you know that kid is a thousand times more confident than you'll ever be and he says it in a kind of joking way and you just see like the realization like hit Plemons's face and he goes from smiling to just kind of subtly like shifting into a more contemplative look like he's just about to cry because he knows it's true and like the movie culminates with Plemons's character breaking down in a supermarket where he, he can't find the laxatives his mom needs and all his frustrations come to the fore and like it could be kind of maudlin but it's not because Clemens just expertly tracks his character's journey you know to that point like from the moment we meet him we know there's like an implosion coming like he's holding back his feelings already dead and then they just grow more and more intense over the course of the drama and it just feels really you know natural and yeah I, I, I quite like this movie it's on Netflix right now I might just do Judas in the Black Messiah quickly, if that's all right. I, I, I adore this movie. We covered it in a bonus episode as a little check-in on the Keith Stanfield. So sign up to Headstuff Plus for five euro a month to listen to that. And I also, <laughs> I, I wrote a really in-depth review for it um, over in Headstuff, which people can read. Yeah, for those who don't know the story, like in the late 60s, um, William Bill O'Neill, played by the Keith Stanfield, is arrested in Chicago for after trying to rob a car and a grift that's on posing as a federal officer. So yeah, he's then approached by an FBI agent, played by Plemons, and is given the chance to avoid jail 
out by coming to work for the Bureau as an informant, uh, infiltrating the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party and gathering intelligence on its leader, Fred Hampton, who's played by Danny Kaluuya, uh, who J. Edgar Hoover sees as a radical threat. And uh, yeah, it's weird. In my review, I hardly spoke about Plemons because it, it's a movie that's just filled with, you know, so many great performances like Stanfield or Kaluuya or yeah. even Dominic Fishback, who I feel like it just he got nominated for a BAFTA, but I feel people aren't talking about her performance enough. I think she's amazing in the movie. And also, it's a movie about black history, so it's not Plemons' character's story at all. But but I do think he's quite good in the movie and that his character is very interesting because he, he's this FBI agent and just in terms of it look, like, emphasizes the, just the textbook G-Man, like, very white, blocky, square-jawed, not too mm-hmm. dissimilar from, like, Halt McElhaney in Mindhunter. They just both have that, like, similar frame and kind of commanding <laughs> yeah. authority. And uh, I would never say we trust Plymouth's character because, yeah, it's a movie about black people in America in the 60s mm-hmm. and he's an FBI agent. But at first he seems less outwardly hateful towards minorities than the other yeah. figures of authority in the movie. Like, while he's certainly exploiting Stanfield's character, like, he treats him at first with respect. Like, he invites him into his home, mm-hmm. eats and drinks with him. There's a scene where Plymouth is talking to Stanfield in his house and he explains his rationale about what they're doing and he says that he investigated the clan's killings of black people in the south and he says that he sees the clan and the panthers as being two sides of the same coin that they both exist to sow hatred and inspire terror and he says i have the quote here i'm all for civil rights but you can't shoot your way to equality and well i think it's wrong to equate those two things i can understand how an fbi agent you know white fbi agent at that time could see things that way so mm-hmm. you, you wonder like is the movie going to see Roy, you know, Plemons' character go from being, like, becoming more conflicted about what he's doing and his worldview and realise that the clan and the Panthers are absolutely not the same thing. And so often in these Hollywood movies, there, which tell black stories, there is a white character who exists to sort of say, not all white people are bad, like, you know, you're Brad Pitt's <laughs> in 12 Years a Slave. But um, I think Plemons actually turns out to be sort of a subversion of that trope, because later on in the movie, there's a scene where he meets J. Edgar Hoover, played by Martin Sheen, and Hoover asks Plemons is Roy about his young daughter and says like what would you do when she brings home a black man and Plemons is Mm. just shook by this question like as if he can't even process the possibility of that happening and like it's like a moral affront like it's an attack that question Mm -hmm. and he's just like she won't like she won't and then Hoover says some shite about the importance of preserving life the way it is and it's just really disappointing because you you realize Plemons while maybe seeing himself as being more modern and rational deep down he's just as prejudiced as every other person of authority in the movie and think he's part of the problem and like knowing this and like as the stakes of the movie become higher Plemons comes like quite sinister it's in the trailer but there's the moment where Stanfield's O'Neill begins to get swept up in uh, a speech by Cleus Hampton, you know, the I am a revolutionary speech. And he catches a glimpse of Roy in the crowd and Plemons just has this sort of switchblade smile, like this kind of knowing smirk with like a tinge of disgust. I don't know how he manages to convey so much in just a look but it's amazing and then later when he's delivering veiled threats to O'Neill about what will happen to him if he bails on the mission like he's so creepy and it's it's not even Plemons' movie, like it's not a showy role but like Despite that, and despite sharing a movie with three of the best, most undisputable performances of recent memory, the fact that he manages to leave even a little impression is some feat. And also, as our friend Sean pointed out, when Roy is basically warning O'Neill to remember who he's working for, he says, like, watching you at that rally, I thought this man deserves an Academy Award, which is great because Lakeith got nominated. So uh, <laughs> congrats, congrats to Lakeith. What, would you, what do you think of uh, Judas? Me. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know usually when when Jesse Plemons shows up in in films, I often find it hard to forget him just because I, I find he has such a presence. And yet, it wasn't until just before I, I came on that I was looking it up that I was like, oh shit, yeah, he 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 was in Judas and the Black Messiah, and I think it's actually a testament to his performance and those around him that he is kind of so forgettable. Do you know it? It felt this is an oversimplification, but just at the beginning. It felt a little bit like a subversion of um, Spike Lee's Black Klansman, you know, that instead of sending a, a white dude into the clan, you're now sending a, a black guy into the Black Panthers. Um, and I was wondering if they were going to try go down that road where it's like, well, you know, who who's in the wrong, really? Um, and I'm I'm glad that they didn't because it wouldn't have suited the story and it's not the story. But it also, it just... I like the fact that they also didn't oversimplify his kind of um, 
villain arc is the wrong word but you know what I mean that it didn't immediately just go oh my god he's been a bad guy all along that you actually realise that it's a million and one different things and it's systemic pressure and it's you know his work pressure and you know it's it's all these things kind of coming out that he, he doesn't just go from being a bad guy to a good guy and it's not really that he was a bad guy all along it's that he is emblematic of the fact that we can all think that we're for the cause and actually when push comes to shove our allegiances often lie very differently from, from where we think they do and yeah, I, I was a little bit worried when I watched it because I always remember how upset I was with Black Klansman, a film again that I love. And yet, you know, the only guy that got nominated was, was Adam Driver um, for Best Supporting Actor when there were a plethora of amazing black actors that got completely overlooked. And I was a little bit worried because Judas had come out so late into the awards race that we'd maybe have a similar situation. But I was so glad when Lakeith and, and Daniel got their nominations. And Daniel's been winning as well, which is fantastic. So yes, uh, Jesse Plemons is absolutely amazing. And yet, even as amazing as he is, he's kind of totally forgettable, you know, against all these other... It's just a plethora, I guess, of, like, amazingness. Even Martin Sheen is Jay Edgar. Like, absolutely despicable. And yet, I'm watching The West Wing right now. And it was so funny to kind of see the, the contrast of him. And yeah, it's just it's a fantastic film, really. Yeah. And, um, like, Plemons has got these very interesting roles on the horizon. Like, we mentioned the Scorsese movie Flowers of the Killer Moon mm-hmm. had the plot synopsis here members of the Osage tribe in the United States are murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s sparking a major FBI investigation involving who else but J. Edgar Hoover again <laughs> sounds great can't wait he's also going to be in the new Jane Campion movie Power of the Dog with his wife Kirsten mm-hmm. uh, Dunst and Benedict Cumberbatch sounds really good mm-hmm. he's reteaming with Scott Cooper who he was in uh, Hostiles and Black Mass with in Antlers the new horror movie with can't me, wait. And, me and Andrew are hyped for that we're like the biggest like Antlers come on <laughs> <laughs> I got my I got my Chris Reindeer Antlers on for <laughs> and then he's uh, the villain in the rock movie Jungle Cruise so that'll be a thing well, listen, <laughs> listen, I'm sure he got a lovely holiday from that paycheck. He was, he did oh, all yeah. his indie stuff and then he was like, you know what? I would, I hear Barbados is lovely this time of year. <laughs> I want to take a break. I do need that extension on the house. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about the, that gazebo now for a while. Why not? <laughs> um, yeah, rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Email us at I know that face pod at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on the show and you're working, you're someone who works in like media or you know film or podcasts, follow us on Twitter at I know that face p one, Instagram at I know the face, Facebook at I at I know the face pod. Thanks to Shannon Fernandez for editing and running our socials. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. Mia, anything you'd like to give a shout out to? Yes, you can find me at Twitter, uh, at Mia Eve. Um, I write for the Trinity Film Review. And you can also write, find me writing reviews for Cinecentric online. Check that out. Please, if you listen to our show and you like it, consider signing up to Headstuff Plus and donating five euro a month. You'll unlock special bonus episodes of our show, four of available now, including an hour-long one where me, me and Andrew and the hosts of Drag Race show Sissy That Pod discussed the career of RuPaul in cinema, which was <laughs> which was an experience. It was an experience, yeah. It was unique. Look, I, I watched some good movies and one of the worst movies I've ever seen, so it was good. And no one can take that away from you. <laughs> exactly. <TV. laughs> Um, see you later, Cinefoss. Bye-bye. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.